0: morning, word serve. morning. One person had coffee. Awesome. (laughs) This is gonna be a long sermon. (laughs) No, I'm excited about this one because there's a lot of stuff that I was wanting to say the last time we covered this topic and it was just too much. So sometimes stuff ends up on the cutting room floor. That doesn't make it bad. That just means there's too much. So what I did this today was I brought some stuff off the cutting room floor, good stuff, not the scraps. And we're gonna talk about a same passage that we covered not too long ago, but I'm begging you, don't check out on me. Because we're gonna read this passage, you're gonna go, oh, I know that one. Do you? Because God always has something new to reveal. So what are we talking about? We're talking about traveling light. This is summertime, people travel. Uh, We don't wanna travel with a bunch of burdens, but the travel that I'm talking about is a spiritual journey, a journey of the heart and the soul. So as we travel in spiritual growth to look more like Jesus Christ, we wanna make sure that we don't travel that in a burdened way, we wanna travel light because that's the way our master calls us to do it. So what are we talking about? We have talked already about working out and working up. Now we're gonna talk about work through. If you ever wanna catch what we did in the past, uh, the statute of limitations has not run out. It's still up on YouTube and it's still on Facebook and it's on our our website. So if you ever wanna check out any of these other uh, things, you can catch them there. And today we are talking about working through. Today's story starts very early in my life. I don't remember this story. I was only six months old, but the story has been told Round and round at Hogan Family Gatherings is a story of fame about the six-month-old. I want to tell you about my favorite babysitter. I was six months old. I have two older brothers. They're three years and six years older. My mom had some stuff that she needed to get done around the house, and she couldn't afford to watch the baby. She just had to get the stuff done. So she thought to herself, I'll put Bill on the sofa, I'll put pillows around him, I'll get the six-year-old to watch him with very clear instructions. Do not pick up your brother. He is not to move from there. What's the worst that could happen, a six-year-old watching a baby brother? I mean, come on, right? (laughs) Just imagine, right? So she goes and she starts doing her stuff and she left me in the living room where the sofa was, right? She comes out a few minutes later, where's Bill? Where's John? Where is anybody? Everybody's gone. She had this momentary panic. Moms, do you ever know that feeling where all of a sudden I left the kid right there, I swear it was right there. Where's that child and what's happened? So, my brother, being the the consummate uh, wordsmith that he is, he said, you know what she said? She said, do not pick him up. So, according to legend, he rolled me off the couch and did not pick me up there, he wanted to go to his room. His motive was, I want to go to my room and play with more toys because there's more fascinating stuff there. My brother will be more interested in these toys. So, it rolls me off the couch. (laughs) I know what you're thinking right now, explains a lot, but here we go. (laughs) He did not pick me up. He rolled me all the way down the hall and into his bedroom so that he could play, right? Again, explains a lot, right? So that was my brother's interpretation of what my mom thought was very clear instruction to not pick up the baby brother. And true to him, he didn't pick me up. He let me down, if you know what I mean, right? So in his six-year-old mind, he met the intent of mom's instructions. Now he met the letter of the law, but how many people would agree he met the spirit of the law? Yeah, see, that's where we have a little problem. And, and this problem continues to haunt us today. I don't know what it is about people, but we always want to find the edge around the words, right? We always want to find that little wiggle room that lets us do what we want to do despite clear instructions. And if you don't believe me, how many people know what it says on the the signs that tell you how fast to go? What does it say on there? Speed limit. How can we think of it as speed suggestion? Right, am I the only one? Nobody does a speed limit, right? (laughs) So we always are trying to find that way to let us do just what we wanna do despite the clear instruction that is in front of us. And we are not unique to this. Now here's where I I throw up the slide that talks to the conflicts that we can have. Now it's not just us that are trying to wiggle out of something, but a lot of times The biggest frustrations, the biggest conflicts that we have with other people are because we're trying to skirt around not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. I can just imagine what this conversation sounds like. But honey, you didn't say I couldn't buy that shotgun. What? (laughs) There goes our budget. So there's all kinds of conflicts that arise because we do this. And I would argue that the biggest conflict is the one that we have with God. Because God has some very clear instructions, and I don't know about you, but I'm always trying to wiggle around that to get what I want, despite the, the letter and the spirit of the law. I'm trying to become a, an expert in the letter of the law, while trying to wiggle in the spirit of the law. Anybody with me there? Yeah, one. One person that is honest. Okay, good. One person's had coffee, one person's honest. I'm keeping score. All right. So, what we're talking about today is this idea that there's a spirit of the law, and there's a letter of the law, and God's direction is not unclear. He is very clear about His direction to us. And when we fail to follow that very clear instruction, we create conflict for ourselves, for our families, for people that we work with, for our community, for our world. Look at the world today. Is there conflict? You bet there is. And in that conflict, can we identify any place where we are ignoring the spirit of God's law? Are we loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and are we loving neighbor? And if the answer to that is no, then you're guaranteed to have conflict. That's just the way this works. So one of the first ones that experienced this is Jesus, as he is led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by none other than Satan himself. And this is where you go, oh, I know this one I'm going to check out. No, don't, please. Because here's the thing, Word Serve, we belong to a church called WordServe. You know about how important serving is to us because we do that all the time. Well, there's a whole other half to that called the Word. And what I hope and dream for us, WordServe, is that we would be experts at the Word, God's Word. And I'm not talking about knowing everything or being able to recite the whole thing from memory. I'm talking about knowing it in a way that we can apply this with expertise. I'm talking about black belt level knowledge of the Word because we are Word serve. So what I want you to watch for as I read this passage is the use of scripture. Now there's two sides to this story. Both people in this contest are using scripture. And that's what I want you to focus in on because we're going to come back and review that a little bit. All right, so Jeff, if I can convince you to uh, track the words as I read them, because I do not multitask these days. All right. Verse, uh, chapter four, verse one through 11. Let me read what happens to Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) No doubt. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, people do not live on bread alone Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. These are the words of God for the people of God and for these words we are grateful. Did you catch the use of the scripture there? Uh, no doubt, yeah, Jesus knows Scripture. I mean, when you, when you are the Word, you know the Word, right? But here's two things I want to highlight that we discover about Satan, our enemy, in this passage. One is that Satan knows Scripture. And if you want the hairs to stand up on the back of your neck, listen to this, Satan knows Scripture better than we do. Let that sink in for just a second. Because if you know something better and you, your intent is to twist it, you know exactly where to twist things. And so Satan's tactic is never blatantly misquoting, never blatantly steering you aside. The best tactic that Satan has is just a gentle nudge plus time. Because if I can nudge you one degree off course and give it enough time, you'll find you've wandered off. If he nudges you 90 degrees at once, you're going to catch that. Something's wrong. But that one degree plus time is tragic. And his tactic has not changed. The, The bad news is, Satan knows scripture, here's the good news. His tactics haven't changed. So if we read his playbook, we know exactly how he's gonna come at us. And if we know how he's coming at us, we know how to deal with it. How does he come at us? He starts off with the truth, quoting the word, and then that one degree is coming. We just have to be able to catch that one degree. So how how does that look? Well, the fascinating thing about this whole passage, if you look at what Jesus is doing here, you're like, man, why, why is God having his own son be tempted? Well, it's because Jesus is being Jesus. Jesus is undoing all the wrong that humankind has done to this point. Well, what do you mean, Bill? Well, let's go back to Genesis. And and don't worry, we're not going to be here all day. I'm not going to go all the way through to Matthew. Go back to Genesis. What was the very first problem that the serpent said? He said, is that really what God said? He hasn't changed his tactics. He always says, oh, God said that. Is that really what God said? Let me just nudge you one degree here and give it a little time. And we fall for it every time. I mean, how dumb are we, right? Uh, And I can't point fingers because I've done it myself, like this morning, right? So I can't fault people for doing this. This is our natural human inclination. But we know the tactics. Is that really what God said? And so in this exchange with Jesus and Satan, you see one who plays with the Word and one who is the Word. And the Word wins. If you look at that conflict at the very end, Jesus finally says, away, Satan, be gone. I'm thinking to myself, why didn't he lead with that? Why does he have to go through all that stuff? It's because he's undoing everything that we've done. Is that what God really said? No, that is not what God really said. Here is what God said. See, that's black, level, black belt level stuff. That's knowing the word in expertise, in an application. That's the way that I hope and pray that we would know this word but we have to work through some things to get there. So let's take apart each of these answers that Jesus gives and realize that he is going back into history and undoing all the woes that happened in the Exodus. I don't know if you've ever made this connection before, but to me it's fascinating. Granted, I'm a Bible geek. I love this stuff, so bear with me here. But let's go and let's look at this, this idea of, is this what God really said? Again, his tactic hasn't changed. So let's go to scene one in the bread. Jesus is actually quoting Deuteronomy. In fact, if you wanna follow along here for these next uh, two challenges that follow this one, turn to Deuteronomy chapter eight and then back into chapter six. We're gonna bounce back and forth because everything Jesus says comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Now that might surprise you, but it doesn't surprise someone who knows that Jesus is the word. I think he's familiar, right? So in Deuteronomy eight, chapter eight, verse three, Here's some interesting things, and if you want to know why Jesus is led into the wilderness, check this out. This is Deuteronomy. This is not the New Testament. This is Deuteronomy I'm reading from. The Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness. The Spirit of God led Jesus. Where? To the wilderness. For how long? Forty days. Back to Deuteronomy. Forty years. That's because humans are a little slow. We take a little longer to cook. Right, For 40 years, to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. I'm reading from Deuteronomy again. Whether or not you would keep my commandments. How did Israel do? Yeah, the report card's not so good, right? Jesus is going back to undo what, what Israel did to reclaim what we failed, and he's going to make it succeed. So he goes back for 40, 40 uh, days, Jesus does. And again, the, he, here's what he is teaching, what God is teaching his people, because while they're wandering for those 40 years, they had this thing called manna. And again, I'm reading from Deuteronomy. I was to teach you that people do not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And Jesus is recalling not only the word, but the, the past history of Israel, where Israel has failed. Now that could be a sense of, of guilt and shame, something that holds us back, something that makes us realize that we're not what we're supposed to be in God, that we fail Him regularly. The fascinating thing is that God's answer is, so yeah, I'm going to send my son. He's going to make it right. Why do I do that? Because I love you more than you love me. That might leave a mark. So God leads into the wilderness for 40 years, that's just scene one. But wait, there's more with the free set of knives, right? All right, so the second one is this test. Now, this, this is interesting because the first time, Satan doesn't mention scripture. Satan just comes with a big challenge to his identity. Did you, did you catch it? Hey, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Anybody ever challenge you like that, your identity, your core? Uh, I don't know if that ever happens. It, to me, I always bristle, that's my first response. You know, oh, Yeah. Yes, I am. I am all that, even though I'm not. But that's my response. But Jesus' response is to go right back into the story and undo the things that were done. It's fascinating to me. The second one, though, is this test. What's the test that he's talking about? Now, in the context of Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is Moses giving instructions and talking about their uh, eventual entry into the promised land. These are the things that they must do to inherit the promised land. And one of them is to make sure that they don't follow the other gods, that they don't follow, follow victim to all the other things in the other cultures that are around them. So do not test. Uh, uh, the other thing that I find interesting about this exchange is that this is the first time that Satan quotes Scripture. And he quotes a psalm as if to divert Jesus from Deuteronomy. Right? It's like, I'm just going to quote this psalm. And it says that in the psalm. He's not making that up. He quoted it verse by verse. But it's, again, the application of what's there, that makes the difference. I can know this thing backwards and forwards from index to appendices, and and it doesn't matter if I can't apply it in my life. That's what I'm talking about, WordServe. We need to work through this so that we can apply this, not just know this. Look at what Jesus does in this case. He says, uh, Moses is talking to Israel. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. How many people know what happened there? Ah, see, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not and I don't want you to feel bad that you don't know that because it, you, this is one of those things you got to google, right? What's Massa? What happened there? This is what I'm talking about. We got to know the whole of the word. Here's what happened at Massa. The the people were complaining and grumbling, but God wanted to make sure that they would keep the commandments. He said, "Do what is right and good so that it may go well with you in the promised land." Now, what happened? Well, you got a lot of people in the desert. Is there a lot of water in the desert? Not so much. That's why they call it a desert. (laughs) Otherwise, they call it a dessert, right? (laughs) That's the best I can do, okay? (laughs) I'll work on it. They don't like my jokes either, if, if it's any consolation. All right, so there's no water in the desert. The people start grumbling, but they don't just say, I'm thirsty. They say, Moses, what in the world is going on? Did you bring us out here so that we should die? Why didn't we leave Egypt where we had everything that we needed? And if you think about that for just a second, what they're really saying is, why did we leave slavery because we were comfortable enough? And now that we're following God, we're facing hardship and thirst. Did you mean to kill us? And here's the censure. Again, I'm reading from Deuteronomy. I'm not making this stuff up. Is the Lord with us or not? Oh, wow. So don't put the God to the test. So What God tells Moses is, take that staff, go up to this place, strike a rock I'll give you water, but don't test me like that. This is a plan. I have a purpose. You are my people. I called you out. I salvaged you. I I bought you out of slavery. You think I brought you here to die of thirst? Don't put me to the test like that. That's the second one. The third scene is all about power. Oh, oh, oh power and the the one that is is quoted here that that fascinates me also is Jesus is saying worship no other God now the significance of of this particular verse to the Jewish culture he's quoting right from Deuteronomy chapter 6 4 through 9 it's called the Shema which means to hear in Israel and you'll you'll recognize this let me read just a couple of verses O Israel the Lord our God is one Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. What does it mean for them to be on our hearts? It means literally to be at the core of who we are. Everything that comes from us, it comes from this core of the heart. And he wants his commandments to be there so that it may go well for us. So God isn't up there just with a big fist waiting to smite you when you step out of line. That's not the God that I know. God is saying, look, there is a way. Here it is. I have prepared it for you. I have shown you this way. I want you to walk this way because it will go well for you. And you will be my people. I will be your shepherd. I will be your God. That's what this is all about. So when when uh, this whole subject comes up, this, all you got to do is, is bow down and worship me, says Satan. I'll give you all this power and all this glory. You just have to worship me. Jesus is going back to the very core of what the Jewish belief was and is. In fact, this is so important to them that they have phylacteries. I put a small picture up here. They put this scripture in containers, and they wear them on their foreheads and on their wrists so it will be on their minds at all times, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, there's a funny word in there. Did you catch it? All All insinuates that there is nothing left to love after you love with all. I don't love sin. I don't love Satan. I don't love culture. I don't love, you can go on and on, and you can may name a million don'ts, but you know the easy way to get around this? Name the one thing that you do. Love God with all, my heart, soul, and strength. That's what Jesus quotes back to him. And that apparently is the final nail in the coffin because Satan's got nothing after that. There is no room for him to wiggle inside that when we love with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's no way that he gets in. There's no way that he leads us astray, if that's the case. Now again, we are human, we are fallible. We will fall victim to the many voices and distractions. That's okay, there's a way back from that. That's the other mission that Jesus provides as he continues the story. But that's where we are today. Now, the the thing that impresses me most about this particular section is if you keep reading the very next sentence, uh, these commands are to be on your heart. He says this, impress them on your children, talking about the commandments. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them to your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. That's how important this is, that we hand this down to the next generation. Now, as I look at lifestyles today, we don't really have that kind of time where we're just talking about them while we sit at home. How many people sit at home on a regular basis? Yeah, you're probably doing something. You're getting ready for something, or, or you're scrambling out the door. How many people uh, you know, just walk along the road and chat? Not in Texas, you don't. You get run over by a giant pickup truck or an SUV, right? Yeah, so here's the, maybe a, a little more of a, a modern translation. I, I was thinking about this, how, how would you say this? Yeah. Talk about it with your children when you're stuck in traffic. Talk about it with your children when you're going through that drive-through on your way to the sports. As they walk along the practice fields to soccer, talk about my commandments. Write them down in your social media and post them maybe that's the way we need to be about it see the message hasn't changed the messaging may change but the message does not change love god with all your heart mind soul and strength that's jesus final answer and it's a good one why so important why do you harp on this bill why does god harp on this I found a great quote by jrl tolkien the first part's a little weird but i want you to focus on the last part He says, the world has changed. I see it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. But this is the part I want you to listen to. Much that once was is lost. For none now live who remember it. That's the danger of not passing things down. Because at some point, we will forget. We will forget what God said. We will forget how to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. For none now live who remember it. That's the price that we pay if we don't pass this on, if we don't, I don't know, make disciples. That's what's at stake here. And it's important that we remember this. None now live who remember it. So why is this so important and what does this have to do with working through? Well, I wanna give you a little bit of what I call Bill theology, all right? Or Billology, if you wanna shorten it, all right? So here's the theology and, and this is very much simplified and the math people are going to love this, and everybody else who's out of school going, Bill, why are you making me think about school? Hey, you never turn your brain off, okay? Work with me. So here's what I propose. A equals D. True or false? False. Yeah, that's easy. (laughs) Duh, right? (laughs) A is not D. Surely A is not D, right? But here's the thing. If I go to Scripture, and I see A equals D, uh, and you can fill in whatever blank you want there, whatever you doubt about Scripture, Jesus is the Son of God. How do I know that? Well, okay, so A does not equal D. But as I begin to work through scripture, as I begin to read in the circles that we always talk about, and I'm not just talking about the one passage, I'm talking about this whole thing, the Old and the New Testament put together because it is one great story as we just saw Jesus quoting from Deuteronomy. And as I dig into scripture, I see that A equals B. Okay, but does A equal D as in Delta? No. Not yet, but what happens if I continue to dig and continue to read and continue to study? I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm not going to drag this out. But here's what happens. I read where A equals B and then I read where B equals C. And then in a moment of inspiration, I find something that says C equals D. Now, I ask you one more time, does A equal D? Yes, it does. And that's the way scripture works because we'll read one thing that seems to contradict with another or we'll read one thing that doesn't connect to another. But if we read enough, if we pray enough, if we study enough, if we open ourselves to the spirit, we will eventually find that A and D does equal D. Jesus is the son of the living God as one example. Now I know what you're thinking and I wrote your question right up there. Why does God have to make this so hard? The answer is God's the one who made it easy. We're the ones who made it hard because God said in the beginning that A equals D and we said, oh, uh uh-uh. Because we didn't dig through. We didn't work through the scripture. We found one thing that maybe we lifted and we proof texted and we hung on to or the one thing that appears to be a conflict with another thing and we go, that's it. I'm stopping right there. I'm stopping at about the A equals B or the B equals C level and I never get to A equals D. And you know the biggest tragedy of all of that? It's that God wants us to get to A equals D so that it will go well for us in the promised land. But how often do we not work through this? How often do we stop short, whether it's because I don't have time to devote to it or whether I just feel like it doesn't feel right to me, it doesn't match my worldview? And I got to tell you, I've compared my worldview to the Savior's worldview and his is way better. I encourage you to check it out as well. Do I still struggle with this every day where I want to do my thing and I want A to equal F? Yeah, I do. But ultimately, I understand the way things work. And I know that his plan is way better than anything I can dream up. So I I satisfy myself with A equaling D. I hope this makes sense to you. See, the reason that it gets so hard is that we don't believe. We don't have faith to say A equals D, so we go do crazy things. And the Bible is full of stories of people who were told that A equals D, but indeed did not live that way. And so because of all the humanity in this Bible, we have to go through this process to get to the proof. If we don't want the proof, if we don't wanna work through it, we can just take it on faith. That's what faith is, okay? You tell me A equals D, A equals D. Very good. But let me ask you honestly in your heart, how many people are satisfied with that answer? You're just gonna take A equals D? probably not. You're going to want proof. Well, have I got a deal for you, WordServe? If you want proof, if you want a place to work through this, if you want a place where you can read all of scripture, work it out, work through it with other people, man, are you in the right spot. You're in a church called WordServe. So we've got some opportunities coming up. Small groups will be starting. We call them community groups. They're going to start in September. Why do I tell you this this early? Cuz I want you to find a place that fits, and I will help you do that. You can look on our website, wordserv.org slash community. Another thing that starts up in September is Immersed Bible Studies. Has anybody had any experience with Immersed Bible Studies? Great. Okay, so a couple. If you want to ask what it's about, ask them what it's like. But here's the basic deal. They've taken books of the Bible and combined them. They're not changing the wording of the book, but they're combining them in a chronological order. So as you read, you're reading as though a Western mind would understand it. And then the deal is you all get the same book. It's a section of the Bible. You read it. You get together on a weekly basis, and you discuss it. It's much like a book club would be. And most people are familiar with book clubs these days. So that's a wonderful way to start to introduce yourself to Scripture. Now, I will tell you, a casual reading of Scripture will not get you to A equals D with all those proofs. What you really need is someone that you can lean into, ask questions. Ask the questions that you, you wouldn't want to ask in public. You need a a close group of people or persons that you can do this with, and that's the beauty of the community groups. So, hey, why not make it two for one day at WordServe? Do both. You can do it. I I feel that you can do this, all right? Because if you ever wanna get to that place so that it may go well for us, this is the way we gotta do it. We gotta work through it. There's no other way. Now, earlier I shared with you, oh, one more thing, Uversion app. The U Version app, I have it on my phone. I've used it for years. It's a Bible app and it's free, absolutely free. They have all kinds of uh, versions. So no matter what version you want to read, you can probably pull it up on there. They have all kinds of reading plans. You can actually work through U Version and join a Bible study with somebody else, like online. They don't even have to be here. I mean, I, personally, I recommend that you meet with a person in person. But if there's no other way or you don't have the time or you don't have whatever and you drop your pointer, you can still meet with the Bible app, right? That's a QR code. If you wanna to get to the, the, UR, uh, to the uh, website where you can download this app, there it is. Take a shot at it. All right, so earlier we talked about old J.R.R. Tolkien and his wonderful quote which says, "'Much that once was lost, much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it." WordServe, what if there were a people called WordServe who made it a point to make this story remembering, rememberable, that's not even a word, right? Memorable, there you go. What if we were the ones who said, no, this is going to be passed on, this is important, This is important enough that I'm going to devote a significant chunk of my time, talent, and treasure to knowing this at the black belt level. Not only do I know it, I can apply it. So that we will remember. If you look at what Jesus did on his final night with those disciples, what was it he said when he did the bread and the the juice? Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus gets this. And so as discouraging as Tolkien can be, once that once was is lost for none now live who remember it, there's another voice that is louder and longer and more eternal and he says this, go make disciples of all the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, baptizing them, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And if you wanna fill in the blank from Deuteronomy, so that it may go well with us. A word sir. this is our opportunity. I invite you in this journey to learn this word in this way so that it may go well for us and our children and our children's children. Will you pray with me please? God, we thank you for your word that is enduring. We thank you for your son who is the word who sends his Holy Spirit to remind us of everything that you have commanded us, who helps us to live in this way. And God, where we tend to jump to conclusions or we, we tend to treat it like it's commonplace, I pray that you would stir in our hearts this morning. God, make us hungry for this word and make us have an appetite as ravenous for this word. Help us to take it in in a way that's not just informational and, and memorization, but a way that literally changes The very things that we do the things that we say even the things that we think god help us to be made new in this and through this so that the world will not forget so that the world will remember the sacrifice that you made the love that you have the call that you give and the home that you promise we pray this in jesus name amen